0: Leighton is continuing the Mark series in chapter 4, the parable of the sower. You can follow along Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. It begins with the Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enters in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on, good, on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. That sounds like a question. (laughs) So we're finally in Mark chapter 4, and I've been excited to get to this point. Mark writes the shortest gospel, and he just races through Jesus' ministry. He stacks story upon story on top of each other, back to back, so that it looks like Jesus never stops, never rests, never breathes. But now, now in Mark 4, Jesus sits down, and he relaxes for a minute. That's a banana. banana. Relax with me for a minute. For almost 50 years, I have been eating bananas wrong. I have been trying to peel them from the top, and when you do that, you smush the inside, and it's not... It's not great, but I learned that you can peel a banana from the bottom by just pinching the end. I've seen Audrey do this. Yep. Monkeys also do this. <laughs> so you can watch this monkey. Well, it's maybe subjective well, to think that There's a right way and a wrong way to open up a banana. But this one might not be. For almost 50 years, I have been tying my shoelaces wrong. And I almost bet that you have too. Because there is a weak bow knot, and there is a strong bow knot. Oh, look. My shoe happens to be untied. (laughs) Most of us have been taught all our lives that when you tie the one, you tie the bunny ears the same direction. And when you do that, what happens is the bow goes this way when you kind of pull against the shoe. The, the bunny ears go this way on the shoe. That is the weak form of the knot. If you are to tie the first knot this way, but then switch up and tie the bunny ears the other way, that is the strong form of the shoelace knot. And then the bunny ears fall this way over the shoe, and they don't, they don't slide out, they don't come apart. What's the point? Uh, would a few of you open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 4? The point is this. Parables are, by nature, intentionally obscure. There comes a lot of bad teaching out of parables then. They can be read wrongly. They can be interpreted poorly. So here's today's example. What does your Bible say? I'm going to ask a few of you. What does your Bible say uh, at the top of this chapter, Mark chapter 4? Parable of the the sower. Anybody have something else Larry does parable of the farmer scattering seed scattering seed anybody else some of them say parable of the soil so which is it i'm going to tell you in a quick survey of about like 30 to 50 bibles most of them said the parable of the sower a few of them said soil and only 3 Larry's the exception here. Only three out of 50 title this correctly, the parable of the seed. Now, we're not, we're not going to worry too much about the title. They are not biblical. Just some guy on a horse 500 years ago put titles in and put numbers to our verses. That's not inspired word. But how you read the parable uh, greatly interprets how you see things. There's a strong chance that you have been tying your shoes wrong, and we can talk later uh, about that. (laughs) Um, But there's also a strong chance that you and I have been reading this parable wrong. If you call this the parable of the soil, where's your focus going to be? It's maybe going to be in preparing your heart each day for God's work in your life. And that's valuable, but it's not the point here problem is that you would start to think, you start looking around for who would be the most receptive to the gospel. If you're looking at the soil, you're looking at people, who is going to receive the gospel? And that's dead wrong. That's prejudice. That's actually one of the Pharisees' biggest sins, picking who they think should be in the kingdom and who should be out. And you can see this squarely in the last chapter that we read Uh, verses 3.22, they actually decided that Jesus was out. If you call this the parable of the soil, you're going to think that the soil is the most important. And you might think that it's up to you to choose the soil. If you look at this as the parable of the sower, where's your focus going to lie? Maybe it's on Jesus. He could be the farmer in this parable. But a second reading reveals that he never actually calls himself the sower. He leaves it open. We make this link to Jesus because the gospel comes from him. It's totally accurate. But in the previous chapter again, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus appoints apostles to preach the good news also. So it's not just him. Turns out, sowing is the work of all believers, Sowing is the job of every disciple, every Christian. And again, if this is narrowly seen as the parable of the sower, it gets preached wrong then, because it's not a big stretch to teach that things rely solely on the sower. And then it totally depends upon what you say and how you say it. And you better not get it wrong. You have to get it right. Right. The pressure is immense. Two weeks ago, Josh confessed that if preaching required him to say the perfect thing in order that people would be saved, he'd be paralyzed. He wouldn't do it. If salvation, the salvation of your friend or your mom, required you to say the perfect thing, wouldn't that be crippling? I wouldn't dare preach. You likely wouldn't share your faith. Sowers are important. They are critical. We are to be sowers of the word, but it's not the sower that makes the difference. It's the seed. So there's good news about the good news. God is in charge. He is sovereign in salvation. The seed is good. The seed is the gospel, and the gospel is good. Your mandate as a Christian witness is to just share the gospel. The seed will do its work. Let's read the parable together. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you know what the word prodigal means? In modern English, we only hear that word in one place. So where have you heard that before? Prodigal Prodigal son. And that's unfortunate because the word prodigal doesn't mean rebellious. It doesn't mean wayward. In fact, prodigal means lavish. It means generous and bountiful, so much so that it's irresponsible. And that's how the, the boy gets it. He is prodigal in how he spreads his father's money. Here we are to meet the prodigal sower. And you get some seeds, and you get some seeds, and you get some seeds. This is how it is read. Parables are picture stories. We can't help but see a person walking and casting seeds. Obviously, this is not modern agriculture. The parable doesn't start with a visit to the tractor dealership, this is hands on farming. Parables are stories that generally have one meaning, as opposed to allegories where everything represents something. Parables are fairly focused. They tell of a simple event and usually carry a single point. But on top of this, parables always have a twist. They have a zinger, something that's unexpected. Now, the outrageous thing here is the prodigious, prodigal, prodigious, scattering of the seed the farmer seems to waste the seed. He flings it everywhere, and that's weird. Some commentators try to resolve this by saying in the ancient world, the seed was scattered, and then the plows came to turn it in. Maybe so. But that explanation lessens Jesus' point. It's not key to understanding things. What is, is that we think it's crazy that the farmer would be so reckless. And that the soil would still grow something. That it would still work out. My father has a friend who has farmed these parts around Camrose for almost 80 years. He's in his 80s. He would have probably had chores as a kid. So we'll say 70 or 80 years. He has planted and harvested grain just north of town. He... Can bear witness to the incredible change in agriculture in the past century. From farming, just like in Jesus' parable, to today, where it's machines, computers, satellites. It's amazing. It's amazing to think that this has occurred in one person's lifetime. But there's a story that goes with this story. A couple years back, this 80-year-old man was trying to tell his 100-year-old sister that tractors now drive themselves. (laughs) And she would have none of it. Because this man was a bit of a jokester, his sister wouldn't believe him. And because it sounds so outrageous that tractors would farm, she just couldn't see it. Go on with you. Tractors drive themselves of all the crazy notions. There was just no way to convince her. Nowadays, GPS and farming is so accurate that computers can tell one year to the next where a seed was drilled. It's extremely careful. It's extremely selective. That's how farming should be, no? Be selective. It makes sense that way. Seed is expensive. Same as in the ancient world as it is today, seed is important. It's cared for. It is life. But in our parable... The sower sows regardless of the ground that he stands on. And you can bet that the crowds who were listening to him, Jesus is in the boat and the crowds are on the shore. At some point, they would have looked down at the ground that they were standing on. And it is lush. It is carpeted with vegetation around Galilee. And they would wonder what he was getting at. Some seed is scattered on the path and it gets snatched right up by the birds. Some seed is scattered on rocky ground and grows quickly but dies quickly because it has no roots. And some seed is scattered amongst the thorns and gets choked out by weeds and dies. But some, some seed falls on good soil and produces a crop 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold. This parable, like all parables, has a natural component and a spiritual component. What do you hear? Just the natural? Is this a story about agrarian life? Sowing and reaping? Or is this parable food for your soul today? Do you see the spiritual side? Moving on to Mark 4, 9-11. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Look at this. Note this. Understanding is a spiritual thing. With God, with Scripture, with the Gospel, understanding comes not by being clever. It's given as a gift of God. This is because with spiritual things... Understanding is not a matter of humans having a thick skull, but hard hearts. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples when they're in private, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. He tells them the secret is revealed to those who hear and follow. You have been given the ability to understand these spiritual things, the secret of the kingdom of God is that people can't see that the sowed word leads to the cross. Nowadays, as when this was first told, people are blind to see that the gospel, the good news, actually leads to the cross, comes from the cross, that the Messiah, the great warrior Savior, would conquer death and sin not by strength, but by humility. That Jesus would suffer and die as a sacrificial lamb. That as a perfect substitute, he would rise up again and rescue all, God's, all who God chooses for his family. That's the gospel. That's the secret. And even now, some understand and are saved, and some of you do not. Pray, call out, desire this, because this is life this is hope the seed is good and it's the only seed that there's ever been verse 11 and 12 but those but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven And this is a hard teaching. It's troubled scholars forever. Could God really want some to not understand? Here Mark quotes Isaiah 6, which is fascinating. Because in Isaiah 6, you might know this, Isaiah says, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up. And there are angels serving him. And it's overwhelming to Isaiah. He knows that he is a sinful man, and being in the presence of God means he will be annihilated. That's just what happens. But God forgives Isaiah. He makes him pure and after that, Isaiah hears this voice, the voice of the Lord that says, who will go and tell the people, the people a message? And so Isaiah responds. It's a much quoted response: Here I am, send me. And there's such hope and sincerity and zeal and promise when he says, send me. But look at what Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 says. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Take the heart of this people, sorry, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Mark says, lest they turn And be forgiven. Israel was so steeped in their sin that to be rescued, they had to be decimated, totally wiped out, so that all that remained was a stump. The end of Isaiah 6 says this, verse 13, And though a tenth remained in it, I will burn it again, like a terabith or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. Now here's the hope, it's the last line and a holy seed is its stump. The Christ will come out of the stump, the remnant. After the exile, the Savior will come out of the stump of Israel, the root of Jesse, and stumps are dead. And yet that doesn't stop the Messiah. Isaiah is commissioned to preach to deaf ears and to dead hearts. As a brand new spanking, that, that didn't sound right. As a brand spanking new missionary, here's your job preach and no one will listen. Here I am, send me. No wonder Mark recalls Isaiah here. His life is this story. His life is this story. Let's read the rest of the parable. Verse 13. And he said to them, You do not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Here are the four soils explained. To some, the gospel falls on hard ears and Satan snatches it up because they don't want to hear it. Defiance has always been the devil's domain. To some, the gospel falls on shallow trust. It looks genuine, maybe for years, maybe for decades, but it withers fast when the least little bit of strife comes along. Struggles in life show either our trust in God or the idols of our heart. To some, the gospel falls right beside the messages of the world, and those messages And worries and cares choke out the seedlings of belief. There's just too many influences. Nowadays we might say there's too many influencers. To some, the gospel is heard by ears that the Lord has readied. And that is the only soil that grows a crop. So we come right back to the hard part of this parable. Could God really not want some to understand, to see and not perceive, to hear and not understand? It doesn't fit with our sensibilities of who God is, who he ought to be. But the word of God unflinchingly says that he is sovereign. As God, he retains the right to control all things. You either say yes to this idea because that's what the Bible says. You say, I will believe it, even if I don't understand it. Or you say, I won't believe it, and you make up something false, something that fits what you want to think about God. You and I right now are in this cosmic spiritual battle that this parable points to. Do you indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear but not understand? It is in God's good will that he meets some humans with mercy and some with judgment for his glory. And for years, I wouldn't believe this. In my mind, God is love, and that has to mean that he loves everybody. But what if his perfect love means something that I don't totally understand? Hearing but not understanding. Verse 12, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And here's the truth. Without without God's sovereign intervention, we don't want to be forgiven. Without God's breath of life, we don't want to see and perceive. Some people think God is unfair, that he's somehow withholding faith and salvation from people, but the Bible is super clear that no one wants it. No one seeks after God, none. That's Romans 3.11. Friends, this parable is crystal clear. Humans are totally free moral agents, totally free to choose Christ or not, and no one does. No one finds salvation because no one looks for it. And no one would be saved except that God does choose to rescue some. At no point does the Bible say God created everything and then just waited around to see what would happen. No way. He is good. And he retains total control. And that means that he saves those he chooses. Again and again, Scripture quotes uh, Exodus 33, 19. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He chooses who he will have mercy on. Salvation is totally and only up to God. And for years I resisted this thinking a loving God would let humans have their choice. But that would make humans responsible for their own salvation by figuring it out where others don't, by being more clear or receptive than others, by choosing to let Jesus into their hearts. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is loving and he lets humans have their choice. And everyone chooses to reject him. So in his love, he chooses to have mercy on some. He grants understanding and faith to some. And in his love, he punishes those who are wicked, who deny the truth and suppress it, because love means justice is necessary. A government that doesn't do justice is not loving it doesn't look after anything you do what you want you hurt people a parent that lets a child get away with whatever is not loving no consequences means no understanding god punishes the wicked and vindicates the righteous in mark we've seen what is called the messianic secret Jesus hushes the demons that know his true identity. He stops the healed from telling the crowds who healed them, And he calls himself a title that's purposefully obscure. He says, I'm the son of man. And I always wanted Jesus to show up in force, just to teach the Romans and the Pharisees, whose boss, to do better miracles, to preach clearer sermons, to have everyone just, just believe. But God has other plans than me, than mine. Better plans. He purposefully hardens some and purposefully softens others. The gospel is like the sun. It hardens the clay but melts the wax. So the secret of the kingdom of God rests upon faith. And God is in control of everything, even faith, even belief. In His mercy, when the gospel falls upon people, he has granted faith, given life, regenerated from death. That good news flourishes. It blossoms, it blooms and it exceeds all expectation. The harvest is tremendous, exceeding 30, 60, even a hundredfold what was seeded. Our God is not stingy. He is a God of abundance. And we live in a world that is afraid of scarcity. A world that revolves around the devil's economics that there just isn't enough. But there is enough. I tell you that. I promise you there is enough. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ. Every need that you will ever have will be supplied by God. Why worry? If you don't have it, you don't need it. And that's how we are to live and to share and to sow with the abundance that God shows. Here's the thing. In God's good design, the seed needs to be spread in order to find out what kind of soil is down there. The seed needs to be spread first to know what kind of soil there is. And there aren't four different kinds of fields. There is just one field and four soils. Those who receive the gospel walk right beside those who won't. We are to spread the seed with abandon, sharing with everyone we can. We are to fish with a net, not a rod, catch everything we can, and God will sort things out. God will cause the soil to produce. This is the parable of the seed because it's the seed that does the work. The gospel does the work, not you and I as sowers, not the soil of human hearts. This is the parable of the seed because nothing happens to the soil whatsoever without the seed of the good news. 1 Corinthians 3.6 I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. No human has ever planted anything and made it grow. God is the Lord of the harvest. And so effective is the seed, so effective is the gospel, that when it hits the good and readied soil, it produces a substantial harvest. So effective is the gospel that we are not to be concerned if it bounces off the rocky soil, falls upon the hardened rock, is choked out by the things of this world. My church, this parable is a call to talk about God with everyone. We are to bear witness to God's grace in our lives. We are to share the gospel in season and out. That's 2 Timothy 4 2. We are to share the gospel when it is convenient and when it is not convenient when you have to wedge it in sideways because there's no way the conversation is going to start turning on its own to the gospel. Jesus didn't discriminate who he spoke to, knowing that his word would meet with rejection and hostility. He sowed on the good soil and the bad, and you and I are to share the gospel abundantly and prodigiously and generously and unsparingly, and it is not in vain. Scripture promises that the seed will produce. Isaiah fifty five ten and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that it goes out from my mouth And hear this, it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is sovereign. His word is good. The sower does not focus on the enormity of the waste. The the sower does not focus on the enormity of the waste, but the enormity of the harvest for many of us, it is not natural to openly share the gospel. I know, I know that. I am you. It's not, it's not fun sometimes. It's not natural. But today, if you fear rejection, you need to know that God has accepted you. So it doesn't matter what others think. Today, if you think you don't know enough, you've got to know that God promises his words will come when they are needed. Today, if you worry about offending somebody, You need to know that Mark insists that it is in crisis and collision that things in us start to move. Offense reveals the hidden desires of our heart. Offense reveals the idols that keep us from God. My church, the danger is that we domesticate the gospel so much that it ceases to offend. We are to tell of the shed blood that's offensive. Of death and resurrection, that doesn't make any sense. We are to talk about hope and rescue in this broken world, and that makes no sense except when it falls on good soil. So spread the gospel. If it is not natural to share the gospel, begin by practicing on each other, the gospel is milk for the newborn Christian and solid food for the mature. It is to be our conversation daily. We are to be faithful witnesses because the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection is so good. It is the seed of everlasting life. Very shortly, we, we are going to uh, bring back something that we did monthly uh, called soul care. And... Once a month, we would meet at the church and we would gospel one another. And that means asking questions asking questions of what our desires are, what our worries are, what are our things that hold us back. And the gospel is able to discern. Just asking questions, you can get to the heart, to the root. Of what keeps you from the Lord. And we practice this. We just, we have conversations with each other. And I challenge you to to go, to ask for it. We'll do it more than once a month. It's like it's medicine. The parable of the seed teaches that the seed is so good that it will produce a plentiful harvest. God calls us to preach, to tell others of the gospel of Christ, to lavish it, to be unrestrained. And this is how he has chosen to work his gospel in the world. It's by word of mouth. Romans 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who has not whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear about someone without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The next line says, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So lace up your shoes. The parable of the seed declares that you and I have been sent to share the good news. And sharing the good news is not a matter of success, but of faithfulness. Speaking about Christ is not a matter about success, but it is about being faithful. May God bless you with all you need to proclaim his greatness and his glory with joy and abandon. Because the seed is so good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are things here too wonderful to understand. And there are things here that are very clear. You call every Christian. To be a witness of Christ. You call every one of us whom you have given faith to testify to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that that word will do its work. That that word is so powerful, it can change hearts. Change destinies. Rescue the absolutely unrescuable. Lord, I pray that you would give us the desire and the courage to go and to spread the seed of your gospel with joy and abandon. Help us to pray that in our day. Help us. And Lord, for your glory, may those words come back 30, 60, 100 fold. May there be people rescued from this world because of your good gospel and the faithfulness of those who sow. In your name, Lord. Amen.
2: the dawning of the king, he the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail,